0: Thanks for tuning in to the New Life South Coast podcast. We want to extend an invitation to sit in live with us during our weekend service. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope that this message inspires you, but also challenges you in your walk with God. For more information, visit our website at newlifesouthcoast.com. Now here's Pastor Marco with an encouraging word. Glad you made it this morning. We're going to... You guys can bring me down a little bit. We're going to conclude our... Series on Heart for the House. How many of you guys have been blessed by this series, Heart for the House? You know, Jesus said he loves the church. And when he said that, he said he loves people because the church is people. Right. And that as is people, we should love the things Jesus loves. Yeah. You know, I don't believe in the Christianity that says I don't have to go to church. Because right. Jesus never said that. Jesus said he will build only one thing, and that's the church. And that's why we're so blessed to be able to move into a permanent location. Because we know it's not about a building. It's about having a headquarters for God to continue to do his work and his will. Not just in our lives, but in the lives of our city. I believe this with all my heart. There's going to be a ripple effect from that place that will go through all the streets of the city. But it takes people who are all in on this. And that's what we've been studying Nehemiah because they, the Bible gives you a template, a blueprint to follow. That's what the Bible is. It shows you how it's been done before with the same faith, with the same God. The God hasn't changed. It's the same God of the Bible. You know, life could change, but God stays the same. And what I love about the Bible is it grounds you because society is changing. You change, your family changes, your friends change, but guess what? God remains the same, and the blueprint is the same. And so that's why we go to the Bible, because we know that this is his word for us. And Nehemiah was, was just one person out of thousands who said, you know what? We're going to go back home. We're going to rebuild our city. And in order to have a healthy city, we need to focus on the temple, which is the church, because they knew that's how the ripple effects going to happen. If we take care of God's house, God's going to take care of our house. God's going to take care of our finances. He's going to take care of our needs. He's going to take care of even our region. That's the whole point of a local church, my friends. If we don't see the power of that, we've missed it, right? That this is bigger than all of us. Like I said, it's going to outlast all of us, just like he outlasted all of them, right? But they set the foundation for us to follow. And so the last few weeks, we've been looking at how, you know, the heart for the house means I have a passion for God's house. Right? I have ownership in God's house. I don't say that's their church. I say that's my church. Right? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Like There's ownership in that. Right? We talked about how when you have a heart for the house, you have a heart for God's word. Well, you can't let anything else dictate your life other than God's word. Not even your feelings. Because your feelings are fleeting. They come and go. You know, I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I don't feel like coming to church. But when I do come to church, my feelings have to follow me. I don't follow my feelings, right? I live by principles, not by feelings. Last week, we talked about repentance. How if you're not going to get a breakthrough if you don't repent. And repentance is not so much about, you know, church guilt. It's actually about remembering who you're truly supposed to be. You know, it's God whispering, saying, you're better than that. I created you to be a king, right? Remember Simba? I created you to rule. I created you to have purpose, meaning. And when you're not living on purpose, you're sinning, right? Because sin is missing the mark of God's will for your life. And and so we get to this place now in Nehemiah chapter 10, where now they decided, now that we've put all these things together, God, we're going to make a vow to you. We're going to make an oath, a covenant, a commitment. And so I want to talk to you today about having a heart of commitment. Because this is what it takes to stay on this, on this road. You know, Jesus said that the broad is the road to destruction, but, but, but narrow is the road to salvation. It takes commitment. It takes focus. It takes determination. It takes being all in. Like, you're not going to do this if your heart is halfway in. Right? There's no such thing as halfway crooks. Right? You're either all in or you're not. You can't be half pregnant. You're either pregnant or you're not. Right? So you can't be like, I think I'm kind of pregnant. No, it's like you either are or you aren't. Take the test. Let's find out. Right? There's a, there's a litmus test for Christianity. You're either all in or you're not. Like, are you, come on, are you, are you, are you tracking with me this morning? You got to be all in. Right? So Nehemiah 10 is them now making a commitment back to God. Because God's already committed to us. Amen. Now it's up to us to commit back to him. You know, Jesus talks about Christianity like it's a marriage. You know, Jesus said that the, the church to him is his bride. He's committed to his bride. He's all in. He's look, you can't get it more in than giving your life. We have a cross to remind us daily of Jesus' his commitment to us. Right? So it's up to us now to be committed back to him so we can see the fullness of his will for our lives. Can you say amen? amen. So Nehemiah 10 is their commitment. I'm gonna pick up from verse 28. This is what they said after all the work, all the prayer. All the fasting, they're like, now, God, we want to make a vow to you. It's powerful. Look, then the rest of the people, the priests, Levites, gatekeepers, singers, temple servants, and all who had separated themselves from the pagan people of the land in order to obey the law of God, together with their wives, sons, daughters, and all who were old enough to understand, joined their leaders and bound themselves with an oath. They swore a curse on themselves if they failed to obey the law of God as issued by his servant Moses. They solemnly promise to carefully follow all the commands, regulations, and decrees of the Lord our God. Can you say amen? amen. My friends, this is powerful because you have to understand these are the people who had been away from the land for 70 years because they did not keep their vows to the Lord. So this is a very powerful moment of them reestablishing their city and saying, God, we need to go back to the promises you made to our forefathers because we know that if we do our part, you will always do your part. You have to understand that, that God's promises always have an if and a then. Yeah. Right? God says, if, then. Right? He says, if you do your part, I'm God, I'm faithful. I'm going to do my part, right? And so there there has to be a commitment when it comes to following the will of God. And so these guys, at the point now, they're like, listen, we've done all the work. Now we need to commit ourselves to this. It's a marriage. It's a vow, right? I love doing marriages. And the most powerful moment in a marriage is the vow. It's when two people before God say, I'm making a vow, an oath, a covenant with you and God that I am going to be all in on this relationship and I'm going to do everything within my power and by the grace of God to honor you, to, to serve you, to love you, to take care of you. And that commitment is vice versa. It takes two to make a commitment. You know what's interesting? The word covenant is actually, it's literally to cut a covenant. Back in those days, for them, a symbol of, of a serious promise is that you would sacrifice something. And for them, the most precious thing that they had was their animals. Because their animals was their income. It was their food. It was their everything. And so for them, they would bring their the most precious animal. They would sacrifice it. They would cut it in the middle. And it would say, like, this, between these two parties, God is in the middle of that thing. And we're making a covenant. We're cutting and we're sacrificing. We're saying, this is how serious we are. We're willing to put our most important price possession on the line for this covenant. And my friends, that's a symbol of what Jesus did on the cross. He became the ultimate covenant between us and God. He says, no longer do you have to sacrifice animals. I've sacrificed my life on your behalf. So now you can always have access to God any given moment that you want. And, and now Jesus is calling upon us to be the bride. To... to to whisper back a covenant to him. To say, you were all in for us. Now we're going to go all in for you. Can you say amen? Now, for them, they knew there were specific things that led to the captivity of their people for 70 years. So a covenant needs to be specific. Because there are specific things that you say you will do or won't do. Right? And so if you, if you track this covenant, there's basically three areas that they would say to God, hey, we're going to do our best to honor you in these three areas because these are the three areas that we failed in the first place. And these are the three areas that they decided to do a covenant on. The area of romantic relationships, business ethics, and temple ownership. Right? So if you follow the covenant, you're going to see them talk about these three things. And it's amazing to me that, that even though Nehemiah was written hundreds of years ago, it's so relevant to where we are today. That's what I love about the Bible. Man, it comes to life. It, it, it grows with you if you pay attention. It's relevant to us right now in, in, in this moment. And so, and so let's look at this covenant, my friends. But before we get into the details of that covenant, I want you to know this. Jesus is very serious about you. And he wants you to be very serious about him. right? Jesus said this about following him. right? We need to make this clear. Right? Jesus said this in Matthew. Uh, he said this about those who want to follow him. He said, then Jesus said to his disciples, any one of you who wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. In other words, a covenant must cost something. If it doesn't cost something... You don't own it. You're not in it. right? I tell young people all the time, if you're not ready to commit to your spouse fully, don't get married. If you you still want to be a bachelor and get married, you're going to get in trouble. You have to make up your mind. I've made up my mind. You are the person I want to spend the rest of my life with. Therefore, I have to say bye to my boys. I have to say bye to that stuff and fully commit. It's the same thing with Christianity, my friends. If you want to see the fullness of God's will over your life, you can't be doing this thing half-hearted. If you're not willing to take up your cross, which is a symbol of commitment, that there's a burden that comes with Christianity, right? that grace is not cheap grace. right? It's not just license to do whatever. It's actually power, like we just heard from the song, to live the life that He's called us to live. So this, my friends, this is beyond going to church. I just want to make this clear. This is beyond going to a religious service. This is a commitment to the Lord. Wholeheartedly saying, Lord, I am willing to go all in with you as you went all in with me. Are you tracking so far? So let's look at these three areas more specifically. So if you keep reading, right, it tells you this, that that the first area was the romantic relationship. In, In the next verse over, verse 30, look, they said, we promise not to let... Our daughters marry the pagan people of the land, and not to let our sons marry their daughters. Now, why is this significant? Because God had told them from the beginning, hey, you're going to be set apart for me, right? You are going to be an example to the rest of the world how they're supposed to live. One of the key areas is relationships. He said, listen, your relationships need to reflect who I am. Therefore, you can't just have a relationship with just anyone who doesn't have my heart, who doesn't have my worldview, who doesn't see things the way I see it, and who doesn't have the same moral convictions that I've given you. What happened is they neglected that and began to have relationships with all kinds of people, from all kinds of tribes, all kinds of cultures, all kinds of gods. And next thing you know, they're... Desire to be God's people begin to win away. My friends, you have to understand this. Next to making Jesus the Lord of your life, the second most important decision of your life is who are you going to spend the rest of your life with? That's a very important thing. Not just anybody should have that space in your life. And God says, you want to live a blessed life? Learn to submit your relationships to me. Because here's the thing, my friends. It's hard to go towards the will of God when you're being pulled in a different direction. Life with God is already challenging. Imagine adding a person to it who's not into it. Right? So... So this is why this is the first thing on the list. God wants your relationship to be blessed and to honor him. And when you honor God, God will honor you back, right? Paul, the apostle who lived in a very pluralistic society like ours, he was writing a letter to a church in Corinth, which is modern day Greece, which they had all kinds of things going on in this society. People would do all kinds of religious stuff in the name of different gods. And they would have all kinds of practices when it comes to relationships. Paul says this, hey, you want to be a Christian in a pluralistic society where morals are very low and people do whatever they want to do? He says here about relationships, look, he said, look, don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with the wickedness? How can light live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? And what union can there be between God's temple, which is God's people, we're the temple, and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will live in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. So my friends, if we're serious about God's will for our lives, we just can't have just any types of relationship. Paul was actually addressing more than just romantic relationships here. He was addressing business relationships. He was saying, be very careful who you mingle with when it comes to business. Because let's be honest, when it comes to relationships, there are different worldviews. The way you view the world as a believer is very different from someone who doesn't believe. That doesn't make them bad people. It just means that we have different worldviews. Right, There are certain things that a believer will have convictions over that a non-believer won't. And especially if we're trying to do life together. It's very hard to do life together if we're not on the same page. It's very hard to do life together when when we have two opposing views on things. My friends, the definition of division is two visions. It's when I, we see things differently, right? So think about it, right? Let's get practical about it, right? It's very different when you believe that Sunday is for church and someone believes it's for a napping. <laughs> <laughs> right? It's a difference when you believe tithing is honoring God and someone thinks church wants your money. It's a difference. There's a, there's a massive worldview difference. There's a difference when it comes to raising kids. That you believe they should be raised in the house of the Lord, and he believes they should be playing 50 sports. There's worldviews that clash. There's a difference in how we view sexuality as a believer and an unbeliever. There's a difference in education. There's a difference in all areas of life. If we're not on the same page, we're already in an uphill battle. This is why this is such a big deal that they made it the first priority in their covenant with God. God, we can't do that again. We've made a mess out of this. My friends, I've been in church for 20 years. I've seen this mess. I've seen when a spouse wants to be all in and the other one doesn't want to. Which, by the way... The Bible even covers that. If you're already married and your spouse doesn't come to church, it is your job to cover him or her in prayer and to be an example and to love him and her. But if you're not married yet, do your homework. You see, marriage is a step of faith, but it's not a blind faith. It's faith with homework. My friends, I know we live in a society where every relationship matters as long as we're in love. But God doesn't operate that way. God knows that love has principles. Right? And I know this goes against the grain of our culture. But we have to make a decision at some point. We're either going to follow God or we're going to say culture is what we defines us. Because there's a lot of things in our culture right now that says yes, but God says no. So we're going to have to decide who we're going to be. Right, if we want God's will, God doesn't budge His his principles. God doesn't bend His principles. Right? The Bible says that every knee will will bend to Jesus one day. Like, Jesus doesn't bend to us. We bend to Him. For those of us who are serious. Again, I'm talking serious commitment to the Lord today. I'm talking serious commitment to Jesus. Right? So, listen. If you are... Not married. Trust God. Don't try to create something that's not there. And don't try to fit a piece of the puzzle who doesn't fit. And worse, don't think you're going to change a person. Because I've heard that. I'm going to change him. You're not Jesus. (laughs) If Jesus can't change him, you can't change him. Trust me. Listen, trust God to being the right person to your life. In the meantime, in the meantime, as you're trusting God, be the person that you want someone to be for you. I'm telling you, being single is a powerful season in your life. It's a season of preparing yourself. It's a season of working things out. It's a season of paying your debts. It's a season of getting your life right. It's a season of getting yourself situated. Where you're not waiting for another person. To fulfill you, because God fulfills you. The other person may come and enhance your life, but they're not God. I'm telling you, and be careful when you're emotionally hungry not to date the wrong people. When you're emotionally hungry, it's time to pray. And ask God, Lord, you need to fill my emotions right now. You need to fill my cravings right now. I want to be in a relationship so bad but God you created me you know my heart you know my intentions you know my purposes God I'm not going to bend my knees to my cravings I'm going to bend my knees to you and your will and if you are already married work on your relationships Hollywood is lied to all of us it just falls into place no marriage is work but it's the greatest work that you will ever do. Right? My friends, if we're serious about Jesus and his will, we're going to have to take this thing seriously and say, God, this is what we want. We want your will. We want your purpose for our lives. Can you say amen? amen. Number two, they talked about business ethics. Verse 31, look. They said, we also promise that if the people of the land should bring any merchandise or grain to be sold on the Sabbath or any other holy day, we will refuse to buy it. Every seventh year, we will let our land rest and we will cancel our debts owed to us. Now, what is this all about? This is about doing life businesses with integrity. This is about not cutting corners to make money. This is about not violating God's laws and regulations in order to make an extra buck. This is about honoring the Sabbath. You know the Sabbath is a commandment from the Lord to rest. You know that when you're working 80, 100 hours a week, you're saying, God, I got this, and you don't? Even in the name of providing for your family, you could be dis- disobeying the will of God. And if you notice, is when we're working 80, hours a week to provide for our families that we're actually neglecting our families. The very people that we're supposed to be providing for we're resenting because now we're putting all our chips on providing even that my friends the enemy knows how to twist even that you know many people who were doing so well and walking with the lord all of a sudden they get overtime and it just happens to be on the lord's day and no one discerns to say wait is this really from god does god want me to go work an extra 10 20 hours because i need more money but i don't need him What's amazing to me is this business people in our church who's told me they work less now and they make more because they honor God. First of all, with their tithe and their time. And I know this is a touchy subject. So if you, this is not, I know you, you're not going to take this at face value. So talk to people who actually do this principle. Ask them if they don't see the blessings of God in their lives when they trust God by doing their business the right way. You know, they're like, we violated the Sabbath. You know what they were doing? They were like, hey, if we work an extra day, we're going to get paid more. But they didn't realize that in the meantime, they were sinking. Because because there's a thin line between greed and need. And my friends, I'm going to say something really hard here. The American dream is not necessarily God's dream. There's a difference. It's not the same thing. And I know we live in a society now where we're taking Christianity and we blurted it in with the American dream. We can't tell Jesus from the rest. And we need to separate the two like they separated themselves and said, no, we need to do the will of God. And I believe this with all my heart. God will bless you. That's what's amazing about this. God wants to bless you. He's a good God. He doesn't want to hold things back from you. God wants you to be blessed. God wants you to have a great house and a great car and a great fight. Like, I believe in all of it, but he knows, like, you can't do it on your own. You can't do it by cutting corners. You can't do it by doing shady business. Because he won't bless it. The Bible even says there are people who look like they're prospering, but they're dying on the inside. My friends, I've had meetings with millionaires who are dying on the inside. God doesn't hate money. He doesn't like it when money becomes a God. Because money is a great resource, but it's a terrible God. Money will make you bow down to things you never thought in your life you bow down to. Money will make you do things you never thought you would do in your life. But even your money tells you to trust God. Have you read it lately? Your own money is preaching to you. Again, the Apostle Paul says this about money. Look, he says this. Go ahead to to Timothy. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. How many people made the money and now they're miserable? You know, they say the worst thing in life sometimes is to get exactly what you wanted. And then find it how empty you are when you got that thing. Now, we need to be careful here because he says the love of money is the root of all evil, not money. Because we have selective hearing when it comes to spiritual things. Because I saw a post yesterday. Someone said, well, if money is the root of all evil, why does the church ask for money? And I'm like, this is what happens when you misquote the Bible. And you just want to hear what you want to hear. But we'll talk about that in a second too because we're not going to avoid it. We don't avoid stuff here. Okay, we just we, we talk so openly here. Listen, I believe with Omaha, God wants to prosper you. Go read the Bible. You know how many people were wealthy? Have you read about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, Solomon? These people were filthy rich. Solomon was a billionaire. Not a millionaire, a a billionaire. (laughs) A multi-multi-millionaire. So God is not afraid to bless you. But he always said, I'm blessing you to be a blessing. I'm blessing you to be a blessing. So listen, my friends, God wants to bless you. I've seen it in this church. I've seen it over and over again. People bless. I met with a businessman about a month ago. Doesn't even come to this church. He said, can I meet with you? You know what he said to me? What do you need in the building? Because I want to bless the place. He said, you know why I want to do this? Because I want God to bless my life. Amen. And it's been like that, my friends. The way we've been able to build a building without taking a loan, because people understand the power of blessing. It is more blessed to give than to receive, because it comes right back to you when you bless. When we, were, when we were doing the the, the, uh, the offering for the the sacrificial offering we did two years ago, remember that? Yeah. Remember that crazy miracle in one day we raised four hundred and thirty-five thousand dollars in New Bedford, Massachusetts. Remember that? Yeah. Two years ago, this happened. And I will tell you an amazing story. I was I was on my way out the second week of the offering to go home, and, and, and someone stopped me, and I took this picture, look, let me show you this picture real quick, you see this Mercedes right here, you see this, you would think, if I post on Facebook, oh, the pastor's a baller now, right, <laughs> we see where the money's going, no, no, watch this, my friends, I'm leaving church, a man from church said, I had a dream, God told me to give you this car, he said, "I want you do whatever you want to do with it." I said, "You know what we're gonna do with it? We're gonna sell it and put it towards the building." We sold it, put it towards the building. You ain't gonna catch me right and dirty. We sold it. Matt's here. He sold it for us. Matt, I'm a mechanic. Put it on his front lawn. In one week, we sold it. We made how much was it, Matt? I can remember. How much was it? Sixteen grand towards the building. Sixteen grand. And we said, let's honor this man and sell it in his name so he can get the tax credit because God is good. He will bless you. (laughs) Okay. My friends, when you hold things loosely, God will bless you. You don't get blessed when you're like this. Ah, I got this. Jesus even said, he says, when you do that, you know what it is? He said, you fool. What is the point of winning the whole world and losing your soul? Right. Man, it's it's a blessing to be a blessing, yeah. you know. And I, listen, th- a Mercedes in God's economy is nothing. Right. Right. It's absolutely nothing. When you put him first, man, he wants to bless your socks off, my friends. I right? I don't believe in, in in a God that's poor. Right. Come, on. Right. come on, come on. You ever heard of that theology? The more poor you are, the more blessed you are. I'm like, oh, God, what? in the, What God are you serving? The God of the poor? No, God wants you to bless the poor. So the poor don't stay poor. That's the whole point. You know, a lot of people have, have problems with people having money. It's like, man, listen. Trust God with people's hearts. Because the moment people have money... Oh, they must be doing something wrong. No, a lot of Christians are very wealthy because they actually do something right. And I was telling the Joint Mission class yesterday, you don't have to be a Christian to be blessed. If you abide by the principles of God, He will bless you. You know how many atheists are blessed because they just know how to give? We don't talk about that enough. How the blessings of God will just follow you no matter what. If I step down, gravity will get a hold. You know why? It's a principle. It doesn't discriminate. If I'm a Christian, atheist, agnostic, it like, it's a principle. It's there. Whatever goes, goes up must come down. If you bless, you will receive. Like if you give, you're going to receive. That's, that's the way God has orchestrated the universe. Right? And so this is why they were like, man, we need to do this right. You want God to bless us. You want God's blessing over your life. You want to be able to go to bed and sleep soundly. Whether you have $2 in the bank or $20,000 in the bank, you can sleep soundly. Because sometimes the people with most money in the bank don't sleep. (laughs) Isn't it crazy? Because they worry. But Jesus says, store up your treasure in heaven where nothing can steal it from you. I'm telling you, God wants to bless you. And I know we've heard this, and I I think it's a great compliment. People have said, that church, they believe in prosperity. I'm like, "Uh, heck, can't we do If you love your kids, don't you want them to prosper? Well, God loves His kids. He wants all of you to prosper. All of you. And then, my friends, they end with temple ownership. Because they're like, you know, we got to take care of God's house. I still got some ways to go, man. Believe me. It's the second one you want to come on to. You ain't trying to cut me off. I got... I got stuff to do here. It's my job. I'm going to give you a part-time word. You get a full-time meal here. Yeah. <laughs> These guys are hungry. They're trying to... Nah, they're awesome. Shout out to our worship team. They're, they're awesome. Sometimes we get our cues messed up. But you don't see that on TV. Um, verse 32. In addition, we promise to obey. We promise to obey the command to pay the annual temple tax. One-eighth of an ounce of silver. For the care of the temple of our God. And they begin to list. These are the things that the temple needs. These are all the things we want to do. And we want the temple to have the resources to do it. It's amazing how people say they love Jesus. But their church are a mess. Did you ever walk... Like, I don't know if you do this, but sometimes I drive by some churches, I'm like, man, no one cuts the grass. No one cares to paint. And then we're worried about church has your money, but it's like, look, this is God's house. If your house is nicely clean and neat, you got flat screen TVs and all that stuff, but God's house is in shambles. That tells you what God you believe in. Crazy to me. But watch this, look. I'm going to jump down to verse 34. We have cast sacred lots to determine when, at regular times, each year, the families of the priests, Levites, and the common people should bring wood to God's temple to be burned on the altar of the Lord our God as it is written in the law. Now, why is this important? Because God has said to them, one of the symbols of my presence among you is fire. He says, in order for me to provide fire, you have to provide the wood. See the if and then? So if you provide the fire, the word, there will always be fire to burn. How does that translate to today, my friends? That translates to the responsibility that you and I have when we stay with God's people to bring the word to God's house. How do you bring the word to God's house? Well, you got to pray, first of all, for God's presence. You bring the word when you worship God from your heart. Because God inhabits the praise of His people, you bring the word when you bring service when you serve with joy the Lord the joy of the Lord is your strength. you bring the word when you invite others to come into the presence of God. you bring the word when you fellowship with other believers. you bring the word when you go to crew and you continue the work that God is doing. you bring the word when you serve the city, you bring the word when you bring your tithes and your offering like all of us have a responsibility of bringing the word into God's house. And when you don't bring the wood, you're hurting the progress of the church. That is crazy to me. That some of us could be holding back the blessings of God because we're holding on the wood. You don't believe me? Go read the Bible. One time they didn't get a victory because one family hoarded. And God says there's sin in your camp. There are people hoarding instead of giving. Because of that, I'm not going to give you the victory. How crazy is that? Yeah. That some of us could be holding this church back yeah. when we're not bringing wood. Yeah. When the offering passes you by, you're not bringing wood. Yeah. When worship is happening and you're just watching, you're not bringing wood. When, you, when, when summer comes and you choose to be lackadaisical about showing up, you're not bringing wood. My friends, we have a responsibility to keep, as God's people, to keep bringing the wood to God's temple so there will be fire in God's house. Telling you, I sent a message to those who are on our team yesterday and said, you better get your hearts ready for church. You get more out of church when you come ready with your wood. These guys are not cheerleaders. They bring the wood with us. They're not here to perform. They're here to worship with us. All of us can bring wood. My concern, this is why we do in this series, is when we move into our building that we think we've arrived. My friends, no, we're just beginning. We gotta bring the wood. We gotta pray harder. Worship more, give more, invite more, pray more, and be all in, and serve, and give, and sacrifice, and see God. What else are you gonna do? I'm bringing my word. Can you bring your word to the temple of God? My friends, tell someone don't neglect the word. Don't be that guy who didn't bring anything to the barbecue. We all know that guy. John always shows up late. But John, man, he walks in. You know, you know the Christian John? John, how are you doing? Oh, I'm blessed, highly favored. John, what'd you bring? Bring myself. Don't be that guy. Can you say amen? amen? Bring the word, my friends. Bring the word. God will provide the fire. And then they end here. And then they end. Here, (laughs) in all fairness, this is all my fault. A leader's got a lead. I repent. Verse 35, look, we promise to bring the first part of every harvest to the Lord's temple, year after year. Whether it be a crop from the soil or from our fruit trees, we agree to give God our oldest sons and the firstborn of our herds and flocks as prescribed in the law. We will present them to the priest who minister in the temple of our God. We will store the produce. In the storerooms of the temple of our God, we will bring the best of our flour and other grain offerings, the best of our fruit and the best of our wine and olive oil. And we promise to bring to the Levites a tenth of everything our land produces, for it is Levites who collect the tithes in all our rural towns. So they said, we promise the tithe is yours, God. The tithe is yours. God says you're a thief when you don't bring your tithe. Malachi 3.10, I didn't make it up. When you hold on the tithe, you're saying, I'm God. See, tithing is about ownership. Ownership says, who owns everything that I have? Who owns the very breath that I breathe? Who owns the energy that I have? Who owns the fact that I have a job? Who owns my bank account? When you don't tithe, you're saying, oh, I'm God. God, as believers, my friends, as believers, this is the principles that sets us apart. This is what sets us apart. It's not our Facebook posts, it's what we do that sets us apart as believers. We can't have home ownership without tithing. That's not ownership. No one likes someone who just takes. So God's like, I want to bless your life, but can you be part of this blessing that flows, that my house will never lack anything? People don't realize the step of faith we're taking with this building, it's massive. It's a massive step of faith, and we do it gladly. But man, it enlightens the Lord when everybody says, man, I'm in too, like, that's my house too. That's also my house. My friends, let me make it clear for you, tithing is not generosity. Tithing is obedience. Generosity is what you do with the 90. And God says, I will bless you when you do that. It's the only time in the Bible God says, test me. The other time he says, don't test me. But this one, I want you to test me. I don't know why, he's God. Test me on this. Be faithful with your tithe and watch me bless you. David, a king after God's own heart, he says, man, I've been young and old. I've never seen the righteous beg for bread. God always provides. We've been married 13 years, and we've had our shares of the weeks. We're like, man, I don't know how we're going to pay this, but somehow God always provides. I've never stopped tithing for 21 years. God always provides. And I don't know about you, but man, I'm so grateful for everything. I grew up in a third world country. I don't take anything for granted. I my parents are here. We didn't grow up with running water. We had to go get water from the well every day. You know how grateful I am to just open the faucet and be like, water is running? Jesus. Oh, that's why I push everybody, go on a mission strip and see how the world lives. Did you know this? If you make $32,000 a year, you're richer than 99% of the world. Only 2% of the world makes $30,000 or more. Oh. And you over here like, eh. you know how many people would love to have $32,000 a year? I'm just trying to, I don't believe in being guilt. I'm trying to give us perspective. And here's the thing with tithing. If God can trust you with where you are right now financially, why should he give you more? Every week almost we get prayer requests, I want a financial blessing. My first question is, are you tithing? That's the beginning of financial blessings. If you're making $250 a week and you can't tithe $25, why should God give you a job that's going to pay you $1,000 a week? My son came up to me the other day. He's like, Dad, I have a dollar and thirty eight cents. How much is the tithe? I was like, whoa, hello, somebody. I'm like, okay. I see you, Caden. You're trying to get blessed. Meanwhile, my other son is going, Dad, what can I do to earn some money around here? I'm like, you can get a job. Dad, I'm eight. Well, get a job. We, we won't tell the government. The more blessed you give, the more you receive, my friends. It's a principle from the Lord. I don't know about you guys. This, to me, is not a suggestion. It's not a suggestion. If God says it, I'll do it. That's how I feel about this. This is how I feel. This is my conviction. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. And he will make a way. That's what I believe. (laughs) My friends, here's what it comes down to. Jesus said, you are my bride. Brides and grooms make commitments to each other. So today you got to ask yourself the question, am I fully in with Jesus? 'Cause if I am, is he the Lord of my relationships? Is he the Lord of my business and life business? And is he the Lord of my money? Because if not, I'm just fooling myself. If there's no mutual agreement there, I'm just lying to myself. It's not until I obey that I see the will of God. That's the thing with God, It's like I'll hold back until you obey. Obedience is better than sacrifice, the Bible says. Now, we can justify this. I've heard all the justification when it comes to tithing. Old Testament. It's funny because Jesus in the New Testament told the Pharisees, it's good that you tithe, but the problem is you don't have a heart for God. <laughs> so he, he didn't neglect tithing. He actually confirmed it. And I showed you a few weeks ago how he was looking at people give. So any excuses that we have are very short compared to the promises of God that we have. So a heart for the house is passion. It's ownership. It's a heart for the word. It's a heart for repentance. But it's also a heart for commitment. And he's looking for his bride. He said, one day I'm coming back for my bride. Coming back for those who are for me. My friends, there's going to be a rude awakening. I'm I'm afraid. Because not everybody's his bride. If you ever made Jesus the Lord of your life, you're not his bride. And guess what? Every day he calls on you come. He says, I knock at the door of your heart. If you open, I want to come in and do life with you. Would you stand with me as we pray today? Thanks for joining us today. If you want to connect with us, you can find us at newlifesouthcoast.com for any further information.